Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Quattromani, and this show is brought to you by CanStar Blues, best rated dash cam brand, Navman. Now, if you have never been listening to this show and this is your first time tuning in, you'll know that I speak about Navman each and every single week because they've been sponsoring us since the beginning of time of this podcast. But the reason I did partner with Navman on this is because they do make some of the best dash cams on the market. And obviously, Canstar Blue backs me on that statement. But what's new from Navman at the moment is the MyView Outer. And this is a vertically mounted dash cam without a big screen behind it, just a very discreet camera that sits nicely near the rear vision mirror, focuses on the road in front of you, and you can set and forget. You don't need to worry about tinkering it. Don't touch the dash cam. Just let it sit there doing its job. If something ever happens, if something you witness on the road, or if something happens to you and your vehicle, you'll simply pull out your smartphone, open up the app and move the video and see it for yourself. Show it to the person who you've had an issue with. Show it to the police. Show it to your insurer. You'll have that footage in perfect high definition. It also comes with a rear camera as well. The Alta DC in particular is one of the ones I am leaning towards with that rear camera because there's so many nose to tail accidents. You do want to make sure you're always recording what's happening behind you. Head to the NAPN website. There's a huge range there. Do find the one that suits you best. But I really do think at this point in time, if you're on the road and you're not having a dash cam, you're missing out on an eyewitness. It's a real eyewitness. It's impartial and it's factual. It has a memory better than anybody else on the road. Have a dash cam, have the evidence. Head to navman.com.au. Let's go. Rasembrasma, Jeff Quattromani, multi Australian in Sydney. Tech expert, Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani, thank you very much from Sydney. Jeff Quattromani is here. And now it's time to talk technology. With Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. What the heck? Let's talk tech. And good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whenever it is that you are tuning in, tuning into this magical podcast. I get to spend some time with you. Welcome. Welcome to Australia's number one technology podcast. As I said at the beginning, I am Jeff Quattromani. I'm the man you see on the television, here on the radio, read about in the newspapers and magazines and online, and you get to have one-on-one time with me right now. We are going to talk about a number of things, mostly starting with the letter A, Amazon, Apple, air quality, and now a wine that doesn't start with A, but is, is I could describe it with a word beginning with A, and it's awful. Uh, this is a Kirkland Barolo. Now, this is coming straight from wonderful Italy, a lovely Italian red, you would think. At about $39, I would had higher hopes. And this is a Kirkland brand, meaning it's from Costco. It's Kirkland is the Costco wine brand. And uh, just totally unimpressed by this wine. I know that I like my Australian wines, mostly my Cabernet Sauvignons, my Shiraz. This is a different variety, and I accept that. Maybe Barolo just isn't for me but I'm pretty sure I've had some Barolos that I have loved. This to me just tastes like it's been corked. It tastes more like port wine. It tastes like something that's been sitting in the sun for too long. I'm not enjoying this Barolo. If you are someone who has had the Kirkland Signature Barolo 2017 from Costco and you enjoyed it, I have half a bottle to pass on to you if you'd like to come and pick it up. Now, on the show today, I mentioned everything starting with A. Air quality, Amazon, and Apple. And I heard on a podcast this week, it's actually the Full Send podcast, it's the sister podcast of this technology uncorked, where they had an Amish man on the show. And this guy has not seen technology. He doesn't know technology. He's not in that world. He lives in an Amish world. And I want to play for you a small clip from the podcast. You can go listen to the whole interview if you like. But here is his thoughts when he first saw an Apple phone. You ever been to the Apple store? No. Do you know what that is? 
Holy shit. You don't know what the Apple store is? Apples. Yeah. Dude, yes. But they're different. They're like different apples. Really? Yeah. You could talk into them. Talk into an apple. Yeah. It's crazy. No way. You got to talk to Steve Jobs about that. It's cool. There's an Apple phone. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You want to see one? Right here. Yeah. Really? That's an apple. But don't look like an apple. No, it's an apple apple on the back. Yeah, right there. Oh, no way. I mean, wow. It's seriously, hearing that clip back, it's just, it's bizarre and amazing. There are people out there who just haven't heard of Apple before, but you have. And if you haven't, you're about to hear a lot about Apple. But before we do, let's get into a couple of other things, and then we're going to get to Apple. Let's get straight into one thing called air quality. I am not the kind of person that usually cares about air quality so much. We live in Australia. We breathe the cleanest air, the best air. But it's winter right now, and guess what? My doors are shut. My windows are shut. I don't want that fresh air coming inside because it's freezing fresh air at the moment. However, once I shut the doors and I turn the gas heater on, we got a new gas heater last winter. Big Rinai thing. And I can tell you that my air quality sensors, because I have tested a bunch, I have one from Natatmo next to me. I have another one from Air Things in this room. They do give me readings around temperature, Um, but also CO2 levels, carbon, carbon, whatever, dioxide, maybe that's the actual word for it. But CO2 levels, as far as I know, CO2 levels shouldn't be high. High is bad. Low is okay. And I can tell you that after we pulled, pulled it out for this winter, these things started coming alive. They started to really give me some notifications about CO2 levels in the house. Now, I thought last winter, I didn't have these sensors, but I thought last winter, that it was a bit smelly from our gas heater. I thought it had a bit of an odor. I also thought that we were quite coffee, like coughing quite a bit during winter as well. But hey, that's usually a winter thing. This year, having added these sensors in from testing them over time, they've started to give me some insight. CO2 levels in this house started to reach um, PPM levels of around 3,000, close to 3,000. Now, when I Google safe CO2 levels, there's some education here. When I Google safe CO2 levels, if you're outside, you know, normal background ambient air should be around 400 ppm. Now, they say that if it's uh, indoor spaces, typically it would be between 400 and 1000 ppm. I started to see that number appear at 2,500 to 3000 ppm. Now, what I do here is that anything above one to 2,000, you'll start to get complaints of drowsiness and poor air quality. Anything between 2,000 and 5,000 ppm, you get headaches, sleepiness, you feel stagnant, it's stuffy air, you get loss of attention, um, not good, bad things, things you don't want. And that was what I started to realize, that hang on, we had a problem. These alerts started to come up when we had the gas heater on, called Rinai, logged a job. They came out, turns out I wasn't going bonkers, these air quality sensors were correct. It has a three burner gas heater, and one of the burners had some blocked holes, meant that it was just leaking uh, gas or partially burnt gas, and that was what was creating the smell and also releasing that additional CO2. Kind of glad that we did get that checked out. Kind of sad that we waited a whole other winter to, uh, to realize it, but now CO2 levels are much more back to normal. They're not, they do still climb a little bit with the gas heater on, but nowhere near uh, the levels that we were experiencing. So, I found a reason why air quality sensors make sense. 
It's not because we have such good Australian air and you don't need to worry about it. It's because there could be devices in your home that uh, actually are faulty and could be causing harm to you and your family. If you've got a gas stove, if you've got a gas heater, any other gas appliances, this is a real thing that could be happening and you don't even know about it. And if it wasn't for my big nose picking up that smell and now correlating it with data, who knows where we would be today? Maybe I'd be on the floor not able to record this podcast and that would be surely devastating. Now, I woke up this morning and Amazon decided to make some announcements. Um, to me, you know, I, I love what Amazon does. I love what they do with their smart speakers. I love what they do with their smart displays. Um, obviously, most people live in a camp, whether you're an Amazon or a Google uh, smart assistant lover or user or whatever you have in your home. I use both in different rooms of the home. And I've, I think I've explained before, I like that when I walk into the bedroom and I call out Amazon's name, um, the speakers in that bedroom respond because just outside that room is a Google speaker and I don't want that speaker to respond, especially if I'm playing music. I want it to be in the room that I'm standing in. So sometimes I separate the assistants around the home to give me some buffer on which one I'm actually talking to. That's what happens when you have too many smart speakers. Now, Amazon's new ones are um, unimpressive. About, well, not as unimpressive as this Barolo, but unimpressive. The first one is called the Amazon Echo Pop. Uh, it looks very similar to the Amazon Echo that exists at the moment, but it's been sliced in half. It's been sliced in half like a cantaloupe or a rock melon. Uh, but what is interesting here is that if you've ever seen the Philips Hue light, there was a portable light. It was like a dome that you could, um, with battery powered, you could place it wherever you liked, or you could just have it plugged in and create a nice ambient light on your walls and things like that. It looks exactly like one of those. Now, it is a semi-sphere, um, as would be the technical name. It comes in four pretty cool colors, black, whitish gray, uh, greenish green, and a purple, lavender. Now, this will be coming to, to Australia. It's going to be $79. Uh, it doesn't have much to talk about, except it's a different shape. Being $79, that makes it about 20 bucks less than the previous version, uh, which I think was called the Dot. I think I called it something else. It's the Echo Dot. So yeah, you could save 29 bucks or 20 bucks on a half cut version of it. I don't know. Maybe if it's your first smart speaker, then great. I can see why people are going for this. I just, so unimpressive. I just, I think after we talked about everything Google last week with the smart display, which doubles as a tablet that you can take with you and things like that, this speaker is just a meh kind of a uh, device. In the US, they also announced a new Echo 5, which is a smart display, which again has almost no changes or advances beyond just that it's a new display, which is probably a better screen and maybe a better speaker. That's not necessarily innovative. They've also announced for Australia, this will be the Echo second gen auto. So the Echo Auto is a small device. The initial one was a small device you could put on your dashboard. Um, it could Bluetooth to your car or you could Bluetooth to your phone. And it could be a voice assistant in the car. You could obviously then ask it to play certain music. And if it's connected to your Spotify account, then it would be able to do that potentially through Bluetooth in your car and transmit that through your car speakers. And it basically meant that you had a voice assistant in the car. Great for old vehicles who, which don't have CarPlay or Android Auto um, and things like that, but kind of very, a, a very weird device just to enable hands-free usage in the car. A lot of phones can be set up to respond to their Google or, or Apple voice assistants pretty easily. You don't necessarily have to have something like this, but they've made another one. 
Oh, speaking near me is speaking again. Anyway, I got I got to remember to stop saying the um the hey G's or the hey um, A's because any smart speaker in this room will wake up. The Echo Auto second gen is going to be available in Australia for a hundred dollars. It is simply smaller than the previous version and no real features uh, being added to it. So if you missed out on the first one and you were disappointed, well, you can go get the new one. It's a hundred bucks and it can make your dumb car smart if that's what you're into. Now, after this, let's talk about Apple. Uh, there's three big pieces of news from Apple. It's some pretty mind-blowing stuff, actually, to be honest. And it's not hardware related. This is all software and features. And for a lot of people who have an iPhone already, these features will come to your device. So let's take a quick sip and we'll be right back. Now, I was lucky enough this week, absolutely lucky enough to have two Apple briefings uh, with Apple. Not three, even though I've got three pieces of news. I had two briefings, uh, but three pieces of news came out. The one that I did their briefing on was the emergency SOS feature, which is now available in Australia. Now, what is that? What does that mean? Well, you can do a bit of reading online to find out, or I'll tell you, and I will. Uh, emergency SOS via satellite is now available if you have an iPhone 14 and above, such as an iPhone 14 Pro. Now, what that means, what does an emergency SOS via satellite mean? It means that if you are somebody with one of those devices and you head out to the Grand Outdoors and you're with Optus, Telstra, Vodafone, whoever you like, and you run out of coverage, your phone will start to show up in the top corner with a little satellite symbol, meaning your phone is at least still connected to a satellite system. If you then try and dial triple zero because something has happened, you've broken your leg, um, there is a problem, you've been bitten by a snake, I don't know, there's something gone wrong. You dial triple zero, it says no connection. Try emergency text via satellite. Simple button on the phone that pops up in that call screen. It looks like a text. Uh, it looks like your messages symbol with an SOS logo next to it. You press that and then it, it effectively helps you get a satellite connection. It talks you through that. And then on the screen, you've got the, the option to choose report an emergency. It then comes up with this almost tutorial, like a questionnaire. What's the emergency? Car or vehicle issue, sickness or injury, a crime, lost or trapped, fire. And you then can go through that. Who needs help? I need help. Somebody else needs help. Multiple people need help. Is anyone injured? Yes or no? What's, what best describes the emergency? We're stranded. We're trapped. We're lost. Other. These, do any of these apply? Do you have steep terrain? Is there water? Is there a cave? Is there none of those applying? And all of these things then get sent to emergency services, obviously including your location. So by having all of that information quickly sent to an emergency provider like Triple Zero, it means that they know where you are, they know your situation, they know what kind of problem they're about to deal with, and you can actually get some help pretty quickly. So this is fantastic, but it also does open up a two-way communication from a text messaging point of view. So um, you know they might say, "Can you describe the location of the emergency?" And you'll say. Uh, look, I'm, I'm next to the Bruce Highway near the turn off at Etna Creek, for example. These are things that I'm literally reading at the same time as well. But having that is a huge advantage. It means you can be found faster, even when you don't have any phone reception. You don't need to hike or drag yourself to a place to get signal. You can actually get help anywhere that you are. And that is absolutely brilliant. Now, with that, you can actually get it to also send that kind of information to people in your contacts. So if you've got emergency contacts, it can also broadcast that information to them, letting them know, obviously, that emergency services have also been alerted. So that's a really nice feature. 
You can also do um, find my. So if you and your wife, for example, share locations with one another and you've decided to go hiking, even if they're out of coverage, you can actually still use find my via satellite. And that means that you could you know, track your husband on a trek through Mount Kosciuszko without having to worry. I hope he's okay. I know he's not in mobile reception. It would be good to know that he's on the move. You could at least still track that and see that, which would be a bit of peace of mind as well. Not necessarily that there's an emergency, just to know where that their whereabouts, I guess. Now, this would work for Australia, New Zealand, um, Austria, Belgium, Canada, France, Germany, Ireland, Italy, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Portugal, UK, and the US already have that feature. Uh, and you do need to have iOS 16.4 uh, to have all of this working. And at the moment, it's free. It's free for two years. And this will be interesting because obviously this does come at a cost. You know, operating satellites, things like that comes at a cost. The telcos can't pick it up because it's got nothing to do with them. This is an Apple to you relationship. So if Apple, after two years, decides to charge for this service, we don't know what that is at the moment. But uh, if you do buy a new iPhone today, you will get two years of, um, what do I call it? Satellite emergency SOS, whatever. You'll have that. So pretty cool thing if you're someone who does go hiking, uh, maybe you go fishing out in the deep sea, whatever it could be. Uh, I just think it's a really nice feature that they've added in. And I know that other brands will be following suit on that as well. Now, Apple didn't stop there. We then had a, uh, what I think is one of the most important things that Apple does do. We had a briefing about accessibility. And I think I may have said on this show before that no one cares more about uh, those who have uh, accessibility needs more than Apple. And, and as much as I love using an Android device and I'm a Google fan in that respect, um, if I ever speak to people who uh, dis- have a disability of any kind, whether it's vision, hearing, limb, uh, movement, whatever it could be, I always recommend Apple devices to them, whereas an iPhone or an iPad. And they just have more features on their devices to get around uh, accessibility issues than anybody else. Now, they've made some changes to accessibility for Apple. And one of them is this. It comes in the form of assistive access. I think for a lot of people, this is not just for those who have accessibility issues, but actually for the elderly or the really young. With assistive access, you can effectively turn your iPhone or iPad into a bit of a dumb phone or a dumb device. Very large icons for music, calls, messages, photos, camera. Um, and make it a very simple device to use. Hide everything else. Big logos, simple to touch, very easy to use. The reality is, is that for the elderly, an iPhone has amazing features that can help them. But being able to enlarge and hide everything else, make it a fantastic device for them to be using with ease. And yes, there's a whole bunch of other reasons why assistive access will work for those with accessibility issues, but I think that's just a fantastic thing. Now, one of the other features that they have added is called live speech. And live speech will effectively allow you to do one of two things. One, you could be typing into a text box and just have it speak. So say, for example, you have uh, issues with speech. You're unable to talk. I think there's a disease, is it called ALS? I don't want to get it wrong. But there is is a disease where people start to lose their speech uh, over time. What with, with that means that you could be basically going up to a coffee shop, typing into your thing, and having it speak for you. What they've done, though, is they've taken it one step further. If you still have your speech and it's um, degenerating, you can actually record 
your speech into the device. It takes 15 minutes on an iPhone. It takes 15 minutes to do it. And then that voice will sound like you. That means that Apple could capture your voice to a point that it lives on even if you lose it yourself. That is so cool. That is so, so cool. So that feature, it's called personal voice. And I think there's going to be a whole lot of other applications for that. I know we're hearing about it in an accessibility way. But imagine if I typed up this podcast and instead of me actually doing it by voice, I could just be typing it on the train and then get Apple to use my voice to actually create a podcast. There's a real chance that that could be done. And, you know, this idea of using personal voice could really do that. We also heard about it being potentially a use case for phone calls. If I don't have uh, my voice or if I'm sick, whatever it could be, could I answer a call and read the text of what somebody is saying just through, you know, voice to text technology, but respond in my voice by text, as in text back to voice? That's a real thing that you could be seeing in the future as well. So, you know, this idea of taking your voice and embedding it into a device. It's something that Apple is doing. You can have pre-recorded phrases, maybe, maybe your coffee order, maybe something you say to standard to a lot of people. Maybe it's just a, a greeting, whatever, whatever you would like it to be, so it's quick, quickly accessed. But I do see a lot more uh, opportunities in this way. One of the other things they've done is they've improved the magnifier technology. Now, I think in the past we've spoken about this, but door detection, people detection through the magnifier function for accessibility purposes, that you could hold your iPhone in a queue and it will measure the distance between you and the person in front. And as it starts to exceed a certain uh, number, it could notify you of that and then you know to keep walking forward. Or if you're using it uh, for a vision assistant, it will tell you that there is a door and it will recognize that door because it uses um, you know, image processing to do that. They've now taken that magnifier a little bit further that if you were to approach a microwave with the magnifier open, as you move your finger across buttons of the microwave, it will read out the text of the button that your, your finger is hovering over. And that would just be a huge advantage again to help people with low vision explore the things in their home to get things done. They, they also said that there's a potential that it could work on your TV remote, um, on your gaming controllers and things like that. So you don't have to just feel and worry about things like Braille, but you can actually use vision from your iPhone to read out what you're about to press on your TV remote, your game controller, whatever you like, and then you get your you know, natural feeling back as to where things would be. So, you know, really, really impressive stuff. The last part um, that, or the third piece of news from Apple is one that I'm excited about, but also a little bit concerned about. So hear me out on this, and I'm keen to hear what you think on this as well. Tap to pay on iPhone. Now, if you're running a business, and I know some of you listening to this show do, if you're a Sparky and you go out and do a job for someone, how do you collect pay? You know, not everyone's doing cashy jobs on the side. How do you collect legitimate pay um, to make sure that you're getting your bills paid? Some people have an actual FPOS machine that they get from their bank. Um, they probably pay a fee for it, and they can use that kind of device just like you see at a cafe. Then you've also got brands like Square, which will provide you with a small dongle that can connect with an app on your phone so you can process payments. I usually see that at markets and um, actually even some cafes and stuff like that still have, still have Square terminals as well. And they come in different shapes and sizes, different forms, and that's one way of invoicing, collecting pay on the spot. 
the new way that Apple is going to allow us this to happen is directly through them. So Square is a, is a vendor that you would normally have to have an account with or an agreement with. Or you would have an FPOS terminal through your bank. Or you could have Apple. Now, so Apple Tap to Pay is interesting because it just uses your iPhone. It just uses your iPhone. And basically, you could have the phone that you talk, you know, take your call with. And on that device, with your partner merchant, whether it's Westpac or others, and I think Westpac is one of the key banks that have signed up with them so far, you would open up the app, you would type in the amount that you're looking to collect, it would show up on screen, and the person, the, the payee or the person you're trying to charge, would pull out their credit card or their iPhone or Android device, whatever they use to do mob, um, mobile payments, and they could tap the top of the iPhone to pay you. It rings a, it makes a little ding. You can see it clearly, the balance about to be charged, and that's it. And that's brilliant. That is brilliant because it's less gadgets to carry. You don't have to worry about whether your square terminal is charged. You don't have to do anything. You just collect the payment on the device. So Westpac has jumped on board. It's called Westpac FPOS Air. And you know, I'm sure that you have to talk to your bank, understand what sort of fees they would have to give you this, this functionality. But obviously, if you're a Sparky or anyone, it's one less gadget to carry. You're able to take payments wherever you go. And that's MasterCard, Visa, American Express, the whole lot. There'd be no one who says, I'm sorry, I can't accept that charge. And then you have to wonder a couple of things. And this is where I maybe get a little tinfoil hatted here. But if I can turn my iPhone into a terminal that collects payments, what's stopping me from collecting payments from unsuspecting people? And I know that is very tinfoil hat of me, but if I'm at a concert, or I'm at a bar where people are generally standing in close proximity and I had this feature on my phone, how hard would it be to tap it or have, have it brush up against somebody's back pocket, wherever they've got their credit cards and collect a payment? In the past, people used to be concerned about that from FBOS terminal type machines, but that's a bit more obvious if you're carrying a big terminal in your hand. But if it's just your iPhone, it's a bit more discreet. So I think that conversation is going to spark up again out of this. But the one thing that I did really think about was, why is this only for businesses? Why isn't this something that we can just use to pay friends, split bills, do that sort of thing? So you start to think about, well, hang on a minute. If I go to dinner with a bunch of mates and someone picks up the tab and it's I don't know, 200 bucks and you want to pay someone $50, wouldn't it be awesome if I could just tap my phone onto somebody else's phone transfer the money that way. No more bank details. No more wondering, oh, how do I get the money back to you? It's just, oh, hang on. Let me log into my bank on my phone, type in the amount that I want to collect. You see the amount on my screen. You can take your wallet or your phone out and tap on mine and we're done. You've transferred the money. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to have? So I'd like to see that happen as well. But at the same time, um, Apple did mention, and this, again, it's something you have to talk to your banks about, obviously starting with Westpac and there'll be others. But they did talk about the fact that it doesn't have to necessarily be just for businesses, but you would need to be talking to your bank about this because they said that even if you're running a garage sale, even if you're running a pop-up store at a market or something like that, they want this facility to be active for you as well. So yeah, if you're a Westpac customer, it might be worth that conversation. If you say, look, having a garage sale, I want to be able to collect payments through card, and they're probably going to give you a brief solution to actually do that. So very cool technology. I love the way it's all moving. I think with every single thing I've talked about today, 
you can see the potential of this technology. You can see the future of it and more use cases. It sometimes just takes that spark for you know, a brand like Apple to come in and say, here is something that we're thinking about. Here is a feature. We think it today applies to accessibility. And then people like, like me and you, we start to think, okay, that's interesting. I wonder if I could use it for X. And eventually, we probably end up doing that. So it's all these ideas that come together. And sometimes that spark, the trigger, the conversation, and here we go. So that's it. Awful air, uh, sorry, awful wine, air quality, <laughs> also awful air, uh, Amazon and Apple. It's all the A's in one big podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. I will speak to you again next week. I need to talk to you guys about something that's 85 inches and staring at me. It's a very big television. I can't wait to tell you more about that one. Uh, Probably next week. We'll do that. In the meantime, stay safe. Look after yourselves. Check your air quality. And we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.